What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I'm your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today is the man who still loves America's favorite pastime, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. It is my absolute favorite sport. Baseball. Baseball. Okay. And you know, my, my mom was born and raised in Kansas, and my grandfather was an avid baseball watcher and player and my mom watched every game that she could watch, like games that she didn't even know the teams. She just wanted to watch baseball. It's so, so fascinating to her. So I, I've got that in my life, and I've handed that on to, I think, the kids. And so it's great. I love the game. I can remember... I- I don't spend very much time at all watching baseball on TV. You know, if our local team, the Mariners up in Seattle, if they're starting to get on a hot streak, we'll start to watch a little bit of their, their games. But there have been a couple occasions, Scott, where you've been on travel during the World Series. And mm-hmm. so we'll get on a speakerphone call. You'll put the game on in your hotel room. Me and Christian will watch from our bedroom and we'll watch the game. And it is kind of a lot of fun and we've done that a few times over the years of course just recently at least once a year we try to make the trek up to seattle and see our seattle mariners it was such a great evening even though it seemed like there were forces that kept trying to get in the way of our joy uh some things that we learned when we got up there first of all you cannot take a bag into that stadium my purse was supposed to be clear so I had to go and spend a lot of money on getting a locker because we had, couldn't get back to the car. It was too far away. We had taken the light rail to get to the stadium. So I had to do that. And then the other thing was in order to get to that light rail, we had to park somewhere. You know, Seattle's a bustling big city and their parking structures were all full at their light rail station because the same day that we were trying to get to a Mariners game, there was of course a University of Washington game. So all of these things were happening. We had two of the kids with us because they enjoy a game too. But once we got into our seats that were way up in that stadium, it was a great game. Only made better by the fact that our team won. Right. But you know that the kids and watching us have to overcome all of these challenges. It's a constant learning experience. Uh, I, I think even though they're young adults now, they get, to, they get to be with us and realize, you know, it doesn't get easier In fact, in some ways, it gets a little more complicated. And so we decided this time, rather than fight that that crowd, we would take the light rail. That was great. And you know what was so amazing to me as we were walking out of the stadium is this sea of people that we walked with to go over to the light rail were so calm Mm -hmm. and and so uh, considerate, really, of one another. There was nobody bullying their way through, nobody shouting, nobody getting bent out of shape. So it was really inspiring to see God's people coordinating together in an activity that is, yes, leisure, but it's a family-orienting kind of event. And that's what I've always loved about baseball is this, it, it can draw a family in from young to old and be so exciting for everyone. Right. 
Something that I had my mind set on when we got to the game, because it was from years ago. Now, Christian, when he was in maybe Little League, that we went to Little League Day, it was a giveaway. I, they were giving away bobbleheads of one of the Mariners players. We arrived too late to the game, and all of the bobbleheads were gone. They were giving them out for free, and they were all gone. Well, by the time we got to our seats that day, and he was a little bit sad, but we were ready for the game. It might have already even been into the first inning. A woman who was sitting in the back of our section saw us come in. She handed her bobblehead to the usher and walked down the stairs and he handed it to Christian. And he said, person up there gave it to you. They had, a, they had an extra one. And of course, right away, we sent Christian up to say thank you for that. I always remembered that because it was such a poignant moment. Mm -hmm. For him to learn that a stranger mm -hmm. would be and could be kind like that. So when we got to the stadium recently, I still remembered that. And it was getting close to game time. I walked in and I took a bobblehead. They were almost gone. In fact, by the time you got through the gate, there weren't any more left. Mm -hmm. And I had that in my mind. I said, I'm going to come across somebody who might need it. And I looked around our seats. It seemed like everybody, grownups and young people, like all had tons of bobbleheads. And so as we were leaving and we were in that big crowd that you were talking about as we were moving through, I saw a dad there with a child on each hand, his daughter and his son. And they were just walking along and no bobblehead. And I looked at him and I said, did you get a bobblehead today? And the dad said, oh, no. He said, we arrived too late. And right there, I was able to hand him one. And in fact, we had an extra one that one of the kids had gotten. They didn't know that their friend had gotten one for them too. Well, we took that one and handed it to his daughter. So now both kids were able to leave with the uh, the giveaway toy. And I hope that maybe they think then re would remember that and maybe that dad might remember it. it uh, that sometime in the future, yeah, he'll, he'll have the ability to pay that forward. Those are just times where God is able to work through you, even for simple things like that. But it reminds you of generosity. And uh, I'll always remember that time when Christian was re the receiver of somebody else's, a stranger's generosity. Right. And I think that's just an activation of, of the gifts that we have in our faith to be able to apply that to a, a normal run a day circumstance and, and you go, oh my gosh, here's an opportunity to, to give a little grace to this father who had a challenging time. And I didn't see the mom around there. So he was on, on solo duty with these two kids and they were thrilled to get that. Oh. So yeah, it is kind of like that, that pay it forward um, movie that uh, was on years ago. But that's, uh, we had an opportunity to do that and it was really, really gratifying. But again, the crowd was really um, amenable to one, to one another. And I really thought that was inspiring to be there. It's been three years since we've been to a, a baseball game, Before just pre-COVID. COVID. Yeah. And so it was exciting. And it's the only event that I will literally stand up and make a fool of myself when a home run is hit. I don't care who's around. I'm going to stand up and throw my arms up and yell and hoot and holler. And uh, the kids are sometimes surprised that I go that I go so crazy for that kind of stuff. But uh, no, it's exciting when you get to see a home run hit. Well, yeah. you had two opportunities to stand up and make a fool out of yourself. And I think even Amen. by that point, yeah, even all of us were like, OK, he's with somebody else. We didn't necessarily <laughs> want to admit 
<laughs> well, talking about grace and the imparting of grace, today we have a very special episode. We don't have a guest coming up, but we are going to spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit. So kids recently just went back to school. Middle schoolers, both in the Archdiocese of Portland and in the Archdiocese of Seattle, they're at an age where they can prepare for their confirmation. Mm -hmm. Of course, you and I were both in our high school year. I think I was a freshman. But with that change though, they are entering into confirmation and many of them have questions. And so catholiclink.org, they had an article that we found, Scott, that talked about the four most common questions that confirmandi ask as they are preparing for their confirmation. So we thought it would be a great opportunity since many of these classes are just now starting up. We'll kind of cover some of these questions and we'll give our thoughts as to what the answers could or should be. So stay with us. we got a great episode on this week's View from the Pew. John 2.27 reads, You have no need that anyone should teach you, as his anointing, the Holy Spirit that is, teaches you about everything. Sounds pretty Protestant, doesn't it? No living teaching authority and just me and the Holy Spirit? Was John Protestant? Absolutely not. And here are some reasons why. First, John can't be rejecting a living teaching authority because in 1 John 4.6, he instructs his readers that the apostles' teaching is the criterion for discerning truth from error. So what does John mean? He's warning his readers against false teachers. In 1 John 2.19, he writes, Some went out from us, but they were not of us. If false teachers, well then there must be true teachers. Sure, the Spirit teaches Christians the truth, but he does so through the living teaching authority, not apart from it. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. One of the many ways you can help Mater Dei Radio is by supporting our Leadership Circle members. These are businesses and organizations whose names you hear on the air every day. They believe in our mission of providing the region with positive Catholic radio programs. Our Leadership Circle members keep our broadcast strong through their financial generosity. How can you find out more about our Leadership Circle members? Go to our website at materdayradio.com and click on the Get Involved menu. You'll be learning about a great group of people. It's Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken with their View from the Pew on Mater Dei Radio. Scott, we've had four children. The youngest is a junior in high school. We have answered in our time of being their parents, a multitude, an innumerable number of questions that have come from their mouth from deep thoughts that they've been thinking about and wondering to lighthearted things like on a constant basis, I hear from our son, mom, what's for dinner? They are full of questions all the time. And thankfully and gratefully, They come to us and ask a lot of these questions. They can be complex sometimes. Sometimes we don't always know the answer. I think when we talk about faith, you know, kids are are amazing at getting to the point. And even though sometimes their questions are are 
pretty pretty surface. They they actually actually often run deep. And I think for kids, when it comes to teenagers who are newly teenagers in in the both archdiocese in terms of entering into confirmation, uh, their question is, well, why? Just like they're asking the question, why do I have to go to school again? Um, but what can we give as answers as as adults? And I've taught confirmation for a number of years in my role as a deacon and it's it's a great opportunity to have the kids hear themselves ask the questions let alone just them ask the questions because i think the dynamic with those kids at that age there is an interactiveness amongst their age group and they need to hear one another ask questions because they're forming they're forming and this is part of that forming that they're doing but they form in community best and i think that's the the example that we show in confirmation classes and as we've students have moved through elementary school and begin to enter into junior high school that community sense is forming well what do they form in terms of a catholic sense of community catholic confirmation is a, a key stepping stone for our youth to enter into a more fully lived experience and i think the challenge as catholics is we oftentimes have to look at our kids and go ourselves what's the importance of confirmation why do i have to talk about this with my child well it's it's important to know the value within ourselves and i think that's the shared experience as, as parents is that we relearn why was this so important that i received confirmation years ago maybe i've never activated it and yet as i bring my child through it it draws the question out of me who am i and what value is this confirmation that i've received Absolutely. All of our sacraments are for the person receiving it and for the community that is there to witness it, for sure. I love confirmation because of all of the wild thoughts and crazy things that young teenagers do when they come and present themselves at confirmation masses. And I've sat and watched many of them. They are amazing and they are beautiful and they are filled with hope and they are just inspired to be there. And it fills me with hope to see them present themselves for confirmation. So we thought I'd talk about, again, this article. It's on catholiclink.org. Mary Pablo put this together. She's a youth minister and wrote this article. She said these are the four most common questions she runs across. So, of course, the first one, and you kind of said this, Scott, as you were talking there a moment ago, why? They are, kids are full of why questions. Why is the sky blue? Why does this happen? Why should I be confirmed? That's the most basic question. Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to give up of my extra time, sometimes in the evening after school, sometimes they're on the weekend when they want to be home and they've got to go to confirmation class? Why should they be confirmed? Well, and the straightforward answer is it's to activate our baptism more most fully that's really what the focus of confirmation does so the disciples were baptized and it wasn't until they were confirmed by the holy spirit that they were able to actively go out and be efficacious being effective in their community by trusting fully in the lord and confirmation is intended for that so that we can find the gifts that are within us and receive the gifts of the holy spirit to go out and defend our faith, but not in a sense of military defense, but to defend it within our own presence to say, yeah, people are going to challenge me on my faith. 
how am I going to find firm ground, stand my, um, my ground in the face of a challenge? And so confidence is part of that. And then having courage to speak when people are in need or people need to have a voice in their, in their time of suffering. Those come from the gifts that we receive in confirmation. But I think people so oftentimes, unfortunately, look at it like so many kids do, that this is the last thing I need to do in the church's hierarchy of structure that I, I just got to get done. And yet what I think oftentimes we lose sight of is confirmation is not a necessity. It is a grace poured out. And by that, it's the, it's actually receiving the Holy Spirit's love most fully in that confirmation that connects us to the archbishop or the bishop, depending on which diocese we're in. And that's why it's so important that the bishop or archbishop does the confirmation. And it connects us as a living, breathing community of faithful in a way that is beyond the, the moment. And that's why kids oftentimes get lost in that moment because it just... It seems so, okay, that's so over the top and so big. Yes, it is over the top and big. And as parents, we need to allow that moment of, of opportunity to wake ourselves up and remind ourselves the value of, of our faith and the value of our own confirmation. And when we have to defend it with our children, that should be a time that we, we really dive in deep to that. So oftentimes kids come home and parents don't ask the questions they should be asking how did your confirmation go? What did you learn today? What what did you feel different today? What are you inspired by in the in your going into this confirmation? Those questions need to be questions that we need to ask because it it's the activation within ourselves and it's that community efficaciousness of family that that comes out of if we're able to interact with our children in their confirmation training. Scott, it is also part of that shared experience because kids can be it can be difficult to get them to talk about it. If you just post to them, how were things today? Oh, it was fine. How was your class today? Fine. What did you learn? I don't know. Right. Right? That's often. But maybe start with a question like this. You know, I remember going to my confirmation classes and you know what was difficult for me to understand was who exactly is the Holy Spirit? And I struggled with that one. Have you thought about that? Then you can open up a question in in that way, and it might encourage them to maybe offer up a little bit more. Well, the second question that Mary poses that says it is one of the more common ones that she hears with her confirmation classes, how do I know this is real? I mean, that's everything. You think about the questions that kids ask, and especially like middle schoolers or high schoolers, you know, they want to know how do I know this is real? I'll, if you can tell me the answer, I'll, I'll buy into it. I want to know if this is real. That is not an easy question to answer. No, and the, the irony is it's usually at confirmation or at, in the training of confirmation that our children have this first opportunity to really dwell on, do I believe this? My parents gave it to me. I've been raised in it. I've been going on a regular basis. But Why? It goes back to that ultimate question of why. I think that's that's our our childlike spirit within us that that Christ reminds us. To, it's like to to children to such as these that the kingdom of heaven is for. We should ask questions. We should be inquisitive. We should be curious because that's part of our our being that draws us deeper into an opportunity with God. So when our kids say why, and then they ask what value is it, 
And we are then placed on, again, on the spot to have an answer. So I think as parents, we really, the church really tries to work to remind the parents that they have the first primary mm-hmm. responsibility to be the imparters of faith. And the church supports that. But parents sometimes get in a, in a pickle and they don't know what to do, what to say. And that's not a bad thing. That is a good thing because faith is rooted in something believed, not seen, as the church describes so eloquently. Believe, not seen. It's not something we're going to see. And so if our kids need to, need to actually see it, then we need to translate that to something within our family, which oftentimes we can use the own, our own love for one another as mother and father. Now, not every child has a mother and father, and, and that's, that's going to be a challenge. But the community can come in and infill that where, where we can. But most point, importantly within a family, I can share with you how much I love you and tell the kids, but I can show it too. And that might be the, the very inkling beginnings of understanding something that isn't seen. They know I love you. How do I express my love to you? And that is something known but not seen in the kids' eyes. Well, similarly, faith is that way too. It's something known, but how does it, how's it activated? It's activated in like what we did at the baseball game, giving that little bit of hope to that, to those two kids at the time that they were needing just bobbleheads, but it's so impactful, right? Mm -hmm. Those moments that are so um, basic and mundane seemingly are, but are really the most poignant in people's lives. And so they can engage in that more fully with their confirmation gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, the third question posed in this article at catholiclink.org says, what changes during confirmation? And she starts off the answer saying this, nothing and everything. It's a very interesting way she put this, but we kind of talked about that as we were getting ready for it. And well, it's all about the person receiving it, right? That's what changes. Can it express yeah. more? Yeah, and I think it gets maybe to the point of uh, addressing transformation. We go receive communion every week, not because it's a power pill per se that we're trying to receive the Lord. No, it's to become more like the Lord. We receive communion. Well, similarly, confirmation it's become more imbued with the Holy Spirit, whom gives who gives not only the disciples the strength they need, but it's who Jesus calls out to and is leaning on in his passion, death, and resurrection. That this spirit that moves where it wills, that that is uncontrollable, but is so infinitely powerful in our lives is something so oftentimes overlooked. And so how is it that we are able to, to be mindful of it? It's, it's through seeing one another an active Christian, an active disciple. And the disciples did not activate until the Holy Spirit came, till the paraclete, as it says in the Bible, came. So what changes? It's transformation of the spirit that is within us that fully transforms as it becomes, like I said, more like the Holy Spirit. We are created in the image and likeness of God, and we're drawn to be like God, but not God. And so that transformation of the Holy Spirit is giving us the ability to 
be the hands and feet of Christ to, to encourage those on earth that there is something beyond what we see here and now in, in our lived experience. And then the last question that, well, these confirmation kids most often want to know, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with my life on a regular basis? Scott, I talk about this often on the morning show, and I've talked to different priests about the Holy Spirit. And I've said the same thing before. I understand God well. I understand the Creator, right? I believe that and understand the way that God works in my life. I understand who Jesus Christ was, his son, born of Mary, died for our sins on the cross, redeemed our soul. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it can be difficult to know and understand how the Holy Spirit is meant to work in our lives. How is the Holy Spirit part of that trinity that we learn about? Well, from the early, early education that we get in our Catholic church. How does the Holy Spirit work in all of our lives, no matter what age we are? Well, it it is a, probably the, the most difficult consideration when we're talking about our faith. And we hear of this person who is the Holy Spirit, one of three persons who is God. And that is so complex for a, a young person, let alone an adult, to try to get wrap our arms around but the holy spirit i think is best described as often is in the church that it is the it emanates from the love of the father and the son and it's the grace that comes that's it's the vehicle of grace the person that that pours out the grace of of god on us in our in our lives and just so that's why it's so important when we look at the upper room and the disciples in fear and anxiety of what do we do now? Where's Jesus? Where, where's that physical touch of that person that we loved? Right. Well, he says, I'm going to send the, the person, the part of this Trinity. That's the amazing part to give you what you need. So what we know that the Holy Spirit does is gives us what we need. And we need to call on the Holy Spirit on a regular basis to receive what we need. And I think for the Eastern Church, the Holy Spirit is is very much a um, a constant within their within their faith experience. For the the Western Church, Jesus, we're we're more Christocentric, but for the Eastern Church, the, the Holy Spirit is something very much an important part. But nonetheless, we have a responsibility in our faith as Roman Catholics to tap into that whole expression of our faith and understand that more for ourselves, but to give our kids hope that it is the Holy Spirit that in, infuses our day. But we can block the Holy Spirit by our actions. That's the value of receiving the Eucharist. That's the value of going to confession. That's the value of saying, I'm sorry. Because when we, when we let go of our fears, we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives more fully and activates what we can be, what we're called to be, what God made us to be. Scott, before we go, will you end us in prayer? Lord, we think of our children and we are so grateful for their presence in our lives. Help us as parents to give our kids confidence that what they are entering into is 
extremely valuable and help it to remind us of our own need to, re- to reflect on how is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We trust in your promise that the paraclete will come for the disciples and come for us. And so we call upon the Holy Spirit this week to give us strength in our times of need and to bring us joy, hope, and happiness. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless. Have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.